May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. What some people call trash, other people call treasure. And that's where the old axiom comes from, right? One person's trash is another person's treasure. In my neighborhood, there's this fellow who drives around every Sunday night in a white Ford pickup truck. Um, he goes around and he goes real slow and he looks at the curb because me and all of our my neighbors, we put out our garbage on Sunday night because the trash comes on Monday morning. So this fellow gets out between the trash going out and the trash being picked up to see just what might be in there. I mean, he's he's going really slow about sunset, you know, maybe there's a, a child's dresser or, you know, a wire coat rack or something like that. And he's he's on the prowl for these sorts of things. Um, he collects a lot of metal items, too. I think he, he gets them and uses them, uh, sells them to the recycling center or whatever. But he's um, he's pretty flexible in his predilections. He'll take uh, just about anything that can be used for a second life. And I, for one, appreciate him. I find him to be sort of a hero of the faith for me um, because he does what I like to do, you know, like to, to make things uh, go a second round, to, to find new treasure in other people's trash. Um, I always love to go and find stuff like this. Uh, I remember um, my mother-in-law, we used to have this, my late mother-in-law and I used to always have this fondness for garage sales. I love garage sales. I mean, I don't know if you do, but I love them. I remember one time I went to Frank Youngworth's garage sale and I found a hand-carved tobacco pipe that was in the shape of a bull's head with little faux ivory horns. It might be the coolest thing you've ever seen in your life. And Frank and Polly wouldn't even let me pay for it. I mean, you talk about score. I was so happy. Um, you wouldn't know, you, you would not believe, rather, how many exercise bicycles I've bought at garage sales. And here's what I find about them. That they work really great for exercise for two solid weeks. And then they work really well to hang dirty clothes on for about a month and a half. And then the man in the white Ford pickup picks them up in front of my, my house sometime after that. Um, and, and all the other stuff, you know, like great pieces of furniture and quirky artwork, like dogs playing poker or Elvis on black velvet. You know, stuff like this. I find all kinds of cool things at um, garage sales. I'm even hooked on this television show. I don't know if you've ever seen it on A&E. It's called Storage Wars. Here's what happens. There are these people who own these um, personal storage uh, facilities. They have individual lockers, and, and somebody comes in, and they rent a locker, and they fill it up with stuff, and then they pay for it for six months or a year or whatever, and then they quit paying on it. I mean, for all kinds of reasons. You know, Maybe they lost a job or forgot about it or passed away or something, whatever. And so the storage locker, they go out, and the owner puts a, another lock on it so the owner can't get in. And, and when it doesn't come around for a while... They'll bring an auctioneer in and auction off the lockers. And so on the show, these people, they go up and they're just allowed to peek in the door. They can't go through any of the box or anything. And then they have to bid on them. Oh, my. Let me just be honest with you. The bishop's here today, so I'm going to be out front with this. If I ever leave the ministry, look for me on Storage Wars because that's where I'm going to be. I'm either going to be in the crowd or I'm out there bidding. I'm, I am so excited about that. Um, the only problem, though, when you gather miscellaneous treasures like I do, is that there are people who fail to see your brilliance. Um, they don't quite appreciate the savvy intellect that you are for collecting such things. And the other part is 
I live in a finite space. <laughs> it's only so big, and I'm only allowed to have so much stuff. And so when I get to the end of my uh, collection, I try to do what other people do, have a garage sale, thinking there will be other savvy, brilliant people who come around and buy my stuff. And there aren't as many out there as you might think. And so I'm left with it, and I have to decide what to do with it. There are lots of people like me in the world, but not everybody, sadly, is as brilliant as we are. There are other people in the world who are quite different. They think quite differently. They, they are the kind of people who don't want stuff. They want to make stuff for other people. They see a need and know that they can fill that need. We call these people entrepreneurs. They see the need for a widget. They design the widget. They sell the widget. And then people buy them. And so they're always thinking not about what they themselves want, but what you, the consumer, might want. And they're always coming up with new stuff. And it's, it's a great way to live. I mean, can you imagine if you could think of something that you could sell for like $20 and everybody wanted one? And you could like maybe pocket $10 of profit out of that item and you could sell a million of them. I mean, that would be $10 million, right? Or, or you sell however many. That would just be a fantastic um, way to become very wealthy. So there are some people like me who like to collect stuff. There are other people who like to make stuff that other people might want. But who knows what God wants? What sort of person is so clever that they know what the Lord himself wants? I think we make assumptions. A lot of us assume that God wants what we want. He either wants stuff or he wants to make himself popular in the world. We, we think that that's his, this is what God wants and he's after the same sort of things that we are. In the Old Testament lesson, we have this book called Ecclesiastes. Um, it's a difficult book to read. But I think it fits very well with today's uh, gospel reading. Sarah and I were talking about this in the back. I mean, this is, um, this is right down the course. You, you think you know. Jesus seems to say, Kohelet, the preacher, the teacher, says the same thing. You think you know what God wants? Kohelet in the Old Testament, the preacher of Ecclesiastes, I say, is I, I think of him as the teacher. The king who offered to go to the university and teach a master's class in life. He wants all the graduating students to take one more course. Life 501. <laughs> and he's going to go through all the ways in which people look for happiness and fail. And in the first lesson, we, we saw that he said, you know, a career is no place to look for, for ultimate meaning. Because even if you have the best one, you're ended up, you end up empty. And, and then in, in last week, he talked about the nature of suffering. And he says, if you look at suffering too long, you'll find yourself in despair because people suffer, good and evil alike. Good people suffer, bad people suffer. What you can do is you can ease suffering by the choices that we make in life. This week, he turns his, his, his thinking square on into theology. He wants to talk about the person of God. And, and if you would, take your bulletin, will you, and, and look, refresh your memory about this Old Testament lesson from Ecclesiastes. In the very first verse, this is the fifth chapter in the book. And the teacher says this. Guard your steps when you go into the house of God. To draw near to listen is better than to offer sacrifice of fools, for they did not know that they are doing evil. 
Eugene Peterson translates this uh, very first sentence. Watch your step when you go into God's house. Be careful. Be on your guard. I used to go, well, I used to go, I, I often go to people's homes as a, as a pastor. A lot of times I remember when I was, when I used to live in Kentucky, um, going to people's homes was quite an adventure. Because everyone had a dog. Um, you know me, I'm afraid of squirrels. Um, and so people have these dogs that are enormous. And, and I have a dog, but she's super sweet. But you never knew what you were going to find. In fact, I used to carry around in my sport coat like milk bone dog treats because you never knew if the dog was even going to be in the house. And they could be roaming everywhere. You never knew what you are going to find when you entered a home. But if you came up to a house and you see a sign on the front door or on the, the, the front fence and it says this, Beware of dog. I mean, it gets your attention, doesn't it? You, you're like, do I really want to go in? You know, as a, as a clergyman, I have to go in. I have to face the dog. Um, so I take the milk bone dog treats along. The dog is unpredictable. Maybe it'll bark at you. Maybe it'll lick you. Maybe it'll bite you. You don't know what you're going to find when you find the dog behind the beware of dog sign. I wondered this morning... I almost did it. I was this close to putting a sign on the front door of the church when you came in. Beware of the God. <laughs> Could you, you imagine somebody comes to the first time and they're like, oh my goodness, what are we, we going to find in here? Beware of the God. You never know what a dog's going to do. They're unpredictable. Ray Charles would say, they do what they do, baby. God is unpredictable. The ultimate unpredictable one. Not capricious, but fiercely independent. Not arbitrary, but also not beholden. God is completely sovereign and completely autonomous. And the writer of Ecclesiastes says, Be careful. Watch your step. Guard your foot. Be careful about entering into the presence of God. Tread lightly, cautiously. And how do you do that? How do you tread cautiously entering into the presence of God? By listening. You know, in the ancient world, people worshipped um, in a way that would be uh, probably very offensive to our sensibilities. They would show up with a live animal. And they would offer that live animal as a sacrifice. The worshipper, and it would always be a hymn, in this case, the worshipper himself, the the, the, the husband of a family, the, the father of a family, would, would take the animal and he himself would, would show the animal to the priest who would inspect it and say, yes, this animal is worthy of being offered. And then the worshiper would slay the animal. So imagine you're in the ancient world and you're on your way to the temple and you've got Matt, this little bleeding animal behind you as you're leading up there. The best one of your flock the one that the children loved, you know, and played with, almost a domesticated animal. And you're going up there, knowing what you have to do is the work, knowing what lies ahead of you, thinking about the precision of the liturgy, thinking about the carefulness of how you have to go through this, thinking about the sacrifice and whether it's worthy enough to be offered. And all of your focus is on this sacrifice. And Kohelet, the preacher, says, stop it. This is not what it's about. Don't go there. Stop. When you draw near, it is better to listen than to sacrifice. 
As you're going up, listen. Don't go running to the altar. Don't go running with your mouth blabbing. Don't go running and saying what you're going to do and how you're going to do it. But listen and listen to God. I think Kohelet says far too many people worship like fools. They're eager to rush ahead. Uh, this is a little tricky line here at the end. It, 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 it reads like this um, in, the, in, a, in our, or the ESV. Rather. They do not know that they are doing evil, these worshipers. Um, the NRSV translates like this. They do not know how to do evil. Ellen Davis, a, a scholar, says this. These people aren't even clever enough to do evil. Kohelet's talking about the very best people. He's talking about the very best people in Israel. The ones who are going to worship. The ones who are taking a sacrifice. The ones who keep the commandments and keep a kosher home. They're, they're, they're scrupulous about religion. And the teacher here says that most of them are being foolish. They talk when they should listen. They act when they should pause. They speak instead of waiting to hear a word from the Lord. Do not be rash with your mouth, he says. Stop talking. Stop talking. And here the preacher keeps talking. What does he say? God is in heaven. And you are on earth. The point, of course, is what do you know about what God wants? What do I know about what God wants? How do we think we're really going to impress God? To buy His favor? To please Him with our vows and our promises? Again, Eugene Peterson says this, uh, verse 7, But against illusion and fantasy and empty talk, there's always this rock foundation. Fear God. All fantasies aside, all imaginations aside, just do this. Fear God. Not terror. Not fright. But fear. I love this, um, the, the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe by C.S. Lewis. And there's this great exchange when Susan and Lucy are about to meet Aslan the Lion. And, um, and uh, Mr. and Mrs. Beaver are trying to prepare Susan and Lucy about this. And, and Susan says, I-, I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. And, and Mrs. Beaver says, oh, that you will, dearie. And no mistake, if there's anyone who can appear before Aslan without their knees knocking, they are either brave or just silly. So Lucy chimes in, then he isn't safe? (laughs) And I wish I could talk like Mr. Beaver, because I always imagine him kind of whistling with his teeth, right, when he speaks. Um, And and he says, safe? Gary, who said anything about safe? Are you not listening to what Mrs. Beaver tells you? Of course he isn't safe. But he's good. Of course he isn't safe. But he's good. I think it's the most profound thing that C.S. Lewis ever wrote. And he wrote many of profundity. Kohelet would say, God is not safe. But God is good. And I wonder this morning about coming to church. The best people I know in the whole wide world. What do we come to find? Uplifting him, clever sermon, moving prayer. Some come out of a sense of duty. God has obligations, you know. Maybe there's a certain key to happiness we can find if we just do the right number of times or the right Sunday we're there. Maybe it's looking for the perfection of liturgical form. 
<laughs> Will the dance be perfect today? No, I'm afraid not. Not going to happen here today. But what about God? What if we came through the door and saw, beware of the God on that door? And we came in knowing that that's the God that we're going to approach. And that we were careful to bend our ear and listen, not to the words of the preacher, not even to the words of Holy Writ, but to the words of the Almighty. We can get so caught up in the business of religion that we can completely lose a relationship with the living God. And you know I love religion. I'm not bashing it. You know that I love the church and the liturgy and the sacraments and the forms. I love them. Oh, they are so meaningful to me. But we can't allow the form to replace the substance. The relationship with the living and a dangerous God. Uh, there's an old story that, about a man who got um, tickets to Game 7 of the World Series. And so, you know, he, he gets them really late, last-minute tickets, and he, and he jumps in the car and he drives to the stadium and he pulls in the parking lot and he's up and down the rows and not a single space to be had. And so he takes a prayer, Oh God, if you'll give me a parking place, I promise I'll go to church every Sunday for the rest of my life. And just then a car throws on its reverse and backs out and drives away. And the man continues his prayer. Never mind God, I already found one. (laughs) And nothing ruins a joke like explaining it. But it's predicated on two ideas. One, that we know what God wants. Obligation, duty, show up the church. And the other is that we can skirt a promise with clever words. Beware of the God. Do not presume. Do not assume. Be careful when you speak. And for heaven's sake, try hard to listen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.